0: Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan. and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? As per usual, Gary, I am fantastic. And um, How are you? I am very good. We're recording this on September 11th. So God bless our American brothers and sisters. And also God bless the Queen as she is laid to rest. So they're all of our tributes for this week. Other than that, I am very well. Uh, we are transitioning into a new series, which is always a a nice pivot point for the podcast. So I know we had, you know, a couple of episodes there to kind of bridge the gap, but now what we're doing is moving from the women's series to a series of podcasts that are focused more so on the kind of the gap between medicine and exercise slash personal training. That's an area that we like to talk about at triage. Um, And in particular, what we're going to be focusing on is exercise. So less so nutrition for now more so the role of exercise in these different disease states. And to open that conversation up for today, what we want to talk about is, I guess, an overview of exercise, health and disease. So what's the role of exercise in one, the preservation of health, and then two, the prevention of disease and also the treatment of disease to some extent, because it does have a role there. So what we want to try to understand at the end of this conversation is what role exercise plays in Improving your longevity, so does exercise lead to an increase in the length of your life? And then number two, your health span, so not just your lifespan, but your health span, which we might define as the amount of uh, time that you're alive with a preserved quality of life. So there's multiple different ways we can look at that. Um, so basically, we want a life that is long, and we want a life that is of high quality. And we believe, and the evidence seems to support, exercise in uh, uh, as playing a role. In those those paths so that's what we're going to discuss today
1: yeah and you noted there that we're not really going to touch on the nutrition side of things you know and look we have a nutrition certificate certificate I can never say that word right we have a nutrition certification course coming out so it would behoove us to talk about nutrition if we're really going to get go down the marketing side of things be like oh yeah look let's let's really just big up nutrition however I feel like we've just kind of ignored. We've, you know, left behind exercise for a while and exercise plays a huge, huge role in the preservation of health and also the, you know, improvement of health, I suppose you would say, you know, so we're going to focus on the exercise stuff, but I just wanted to to mention that we do have a nutrition course coming out and um, Gary, what, 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 date is that being released? Yes. Yeah, so we're eight
0: days out at the moment. We're launching it on Monday, September 19th. Um, so that's very, very soon. And uh, initially we might have a little bit of a discount on it for those who are in first. So we do recommend that you stay tuned for the launch of that. And if you've enjoyed our content over the years, this is going to be a a very in-depth version of our content. So obviously what we talk about in the podcast is, is often quite comprehensive and we like to think often quite practical, but in order to really take someone from the point of a low to moderate understanding, let's say, Um, or even a a, quite a high understanding to being a very competent practitioner, both in terms of having the knowledge and being able to apply it, you need a more extended, um, you know, stepwise progression in your education. And that's what we want to provide with this nutrition course. So if you are interested, do stay tuned for further updates. We're giving you some updates on our Instagram um, as to, you know, what the course will constitute um, and answering some questions
1: that people have. So do follow along there and you'll find more information. Yeah, hundred percent. Now, anyway, back to the exercise stuff, right? Um, why, why exercise? Like, why, why does exercise seem to be this panacea for health? Like, why does it seem to be something that is even involved in health at all? You know, it's it's not necessarily intuitive that doing something like using your body, we'll say, is going to increase the longevity, increase the health of the individual like it's it's not intuitive you know obviously it's intuitive because it seems to be the case you know if you sample people in the real world you know the healthier people are generally the people that exercise you know in general obviously that's not always the case but in general right so like what what's what's going on there so firstly i just want to touch, touch on a quick
0: point that that goes back to what we said about nutrition And that is that people are often very specific when they talk about nutrition. So they'll say, they'll talk about different disease states, for example, whether it be heart disease or kidney disease or stroke, et cetera. And they'll make a very specific prescription as to how diet should change. And they'll talk about the very specific benefits of nutrition in that context. And then when people talk about exercise, what they often say is, oh yeah, and stay active and, or, oh yeah, and do your exercise. And I see this in medicine quite a bit as well, where it's kind of like an afterthought. It's something you just throw out there. Oh, yeah. And an exercise helps, too. But, yeah,
1: but just, just on that, like, you know, when people complain about doctors, they oh they don't get enough nutrition education. Well, they get fuck all exercise education. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And and like, you know, it, it is one of those things where like it's, it's true. Like you can just tell someone to exercise, but we run into the same barriers of nutrition in terms of, all right, how does a person integrate that into their lives? What are the barriers? What are the specific types of exercise? Who's going to teach them how to do it? People always talk about food preparation skills when it comes to nutrition, for example, um, but exercise is the exact same. And, and in some cases it's even harder because food preparation skills to some extent, everyone has some, and it's very clear, how you could go about improving your food preparation skills, your ability to cook, et cetera.
1: regardless of who you are, what your situation is. You've probably been eating your whole life. Yeah. You know, I would, like, I would assume, but a lot of people haven't been exercising at any stage of their life, you know?
0: Absolutely. And, and most of us just move in, in, in ways that seem intuitive to us, but might necessarily be the best way. We, we mightn't actually know how to, you know, do a squat or how to do a push up or, how we might go about improving our running, et cetera. So um, exercise shouldn't just be viewed as this afterthought that you can just say, oh yeah, I'm going to start exercising more. We can be specific both about how we do it and about the benefits. So let's start from the start in terms of understanding some of the basics as to why exercise might preserve health. So firstly, understand that whether we're talking about cardio or resistance training or any other mode of exercise, it all starts with muscular contraction. That's fundamentally what we're doing. All we vary after that is the intensity of the muscular contraction. So is it a very high force or a low force muscle contraction? And the amount of those muscle contractions that we have or the duration of the overall activity. That actually describes pretty much all of the benefits um, of whether it be cardio or strength training, because people think of them as being different. But in fact, what we're talking about when we talk about strength training is we're talking about high force muscle contractions over shorter periods. When we talk about cardio, we're talking about low force muscle contractions repeated over very long periods. And those muscle contractions then um, start to call in more and more support from other organ systems and from overall energy production. So when we talk about the cardiovascular benefit of um, running, for example, or cycling or swimming, It's still a a similar system to what we're doing when we're strength training. We're just doing it for longer periods of time and with lower force per contraction. So when you're running and you put your foot down and your body weight is down on that foot, you've just landed on it, that it does still require high forces. And to a certain point, to a certain extent, that's going to increase your muscle strength. But as you do it over and over and over and over again, what's going to happen your heart rate is going to be increasing um, your cardiac output is going to be increasing. So the amount of blood that's being pushed at high speeds through your blood vessels is going to be increasing. Um, the amount of energy that you're using is going to be increasing. So you're going to be reducing your, or, or using up uh, blood glucose. You're going to be using up stored fat. It's going could be increasing your overall energy expenditure. So understand exercise as, as a very general stimulus first, and then we can start to get specific. So exercise is a whole body uh, event. I think this is something that's really important to understand as well, because you can, you can think of running, let's say as being, oh, well, it's, it's cardio, you know, people will call it cardio and they think, okay, your heart is working, but your heart is working. Yes. Um, It's working at high rates. It's working at high volumes and it's it's working with the lungs as well. So your all of your lung vasculature is involved in that process. The act of deep breathing is involved in that process. You've got uh, the act of all that blood flowing through the blood vessels, as I said, flowing to distal organ systems. You've got the act of increasing venous return. You've got the act of uh, the muscle strengthening qualities, obviously, the bone strengthening qualities as well. And then you've got all of the metabolic consequences of that that are related to, as I said, energy expenditure, the use of uh, stored fuel substrates and the reduction of the risk and the risk of what would happen to those organ systems if that energy, if those energy substrates were not used, and this is something that's kind of forgotten sometimes, is that you know you don't think of the the liver, let's say as an organ that benefits from exercise. Like no one talks about the liver, but a lot of the consequences of not exercising, for example, a sedentary lifestyle, um, the let's say gain gains in body fat over time, poor metabolic health, all of that increases the risk of liver disease. Very similarly increases the risk of uh, kidney disease and other other diseases throughout the body. So we can focus absolutely in on cardio or muscle strengthening exercise, but understand that there are, Um, downstream consequences of those events, of those muscle contractions and of the benefits that come from them on these other organ systems as well. So exercise can absolutely be described in a specific way, but it also has very general benefits in basically every organ system in the body.
1: Yeah, and like we obviously have this very... I don't know what you would call it, a biomedical reductionist approach mm-hmm. to learning about these systems. You're like, oh, look, we'll focus on what's happening with the, the lungs here or the 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 heart or the actual muscles themselves. And obviously that's, that's necessary. Like you can't just go, oh, well, it's everything all at the same time. Like that's incredibly hard to actually understand and learn as a result. You know, like you have to focus in on a certain thing so you can take it apart and then build the system up overall. Right. But it does often lead to people not having a complete picture of what's going on and that can be quite problematic in terms of actually understanding the benefits of exercise and how that applies to different things and the way i always think of it like i like evolutionary biology like i like thinking through things in terms of like how did this occur across time like how did this evolve right and if you think about it like we you know if you believe in evolution you know i know gary i know you don't um but if you believe in evolution which i think everyone should believe in it because it's you know the best theory that we have um we evolved from these you know single cell organisms right that's what happened right now if you think of a single cell oxygen can just freely get into that cell right so it's fine right but we want to be able to move around okay so that cell cell needs to move around now a lot of the stuff. If it's a single celled organism, it's probably going to be in some sort of like soup, some sort of water, so it's going to let currents and all that kind of stuff take it around, right? But as we start, you know, getting a little bit of a, a higher order, we become like eukaryotes, we become multicellular systems. You know, we need to start doing things to, first of all, move ourselves around, right? So we can start thinking of movement as a very fundamental part of our evolution, like movement occurred before we had a nervous system movement occurred before we had a brain before we had cognition consciousness all that kind of stuff so movement itself is very fundamental and then we can start looking and layering on other things in terms of the overall big picture with that right so if you look at like energy metabolism right that's fundamental okay that's a that's a baseline stuff you don't get a higher order brain without good energy metabolism with anaerobic and aerobic systems in place right so we know they're important, okay? And then we also know, okay, well, as the fucking multicellular system gets bigger and bigger, it comes into this paradox where it can't get any bigger because it can't diffuse oxygen to the center, like let's assume it's a sphere, right? It can't get that oxygen all the way to the center. So we need to start creating like vasculature, right? Okay, so we can start getting stuff around the system, But now we need, we're getting bigger and bigger. So now we need something that can actually pump it around, right? And then we get to a situation where we're like, okay, so we can pump the oxygen around, but we actually still need to start getting the oxygen in. So we need to develop lungs. We need to develop a heart. All of this stuff, we still haven't even developed the brain. Now, it actually goes at the same time because you need something to start coordinating that stuff. And that's why a nervous system develops and a brain starts developing and obviously, we need to actually interact with the environment around us. So your, nerve, your nervous system starts you know, taking the inputs in or your nervous system is created in response to being able to take inputs in and then come up with a, a, a response to that, right? So if we think of it in terms of, okay, we have developed a movement capacity before we developed higher order thinking, right? It's probably fucking important that we do some movement it's probably important as a fundamental part of what it means to be alive. Now we're very in the modern age, very much. Um, again, that kind of reductionist thought process where it's like, Oh, the head we're, we're so removed from evolution. We're so removed from the animal kingdom. Like that's, that's just not us. We're, we're higher order beings. We're like, we can think we logic, reason, all that kind of stuff. But all of that stuff only works if we're doing the fundamental inputs. Like there's certain things you just need to do to actually look after the system, and one of those things is exercise. Now we could we, we could term it in, we could term it movement. That's what needs to be done. But exercise is probably a better term because we can actually look for specific outcomes as a result of that. Like you could say training, right? Like we're looking for specific outcomes as a result of that, so that we can optimize the system. For whatever we're trying to achieve, whether it's health outcomes, whether it's you know, sporting outcomes, whether it's whatever. There's certain things that we could focus on, prioritize more over other things to ensure the outcome that we want, you know? But anyway, that's how I kind of think of it. I know that was a bit fucking rambly, but it's like exercise is fundamental. Movement is fundamental. That came before, like you had to move before you could develop a, a nervous system and a brain and higher order thinking, which is something that in society nowadays we we quite quite enjoy you know we like being able to to think and reason i know some people don't do it you know they always say that like uh you know common sense is not that common but we at least have the capacity for it
0: absolutely and f- further to that then i think that something that's very much related to your point is the fact that while we can focus in on each individual organ system and ask ourselves what does exercise do here number 1 there's a lot that's sort of very high level or broader more human level in terms of for example the social and psychological benefits of exercise where when someone partakes in exercise they often do so as part of a group and even if they don't do so formally they often find themselves becoming part of a group for example a lot of my a lot of my my friendships obviously my work um my path that I ended up taking in life has been pretty much determined by the fact that I started training. That was that's pretty much it. Um, but there's also obviously more explicit examples when someone goes to an exercise class or they join a club. Um, even if you're in the fit, the in the kind of fitness sphere, you're a you're someone who just goes to the gym to get jacked, you know, and, and you enjoy the the culture related to that, you're you're sharing memes related to fitness, etc. You find yourself, particularly in a social media age becoming part of a community, even indirectly. So there's all of these uh, social benefits to exercise that are sometimes explicit, but sometimes um, a little bit more hidden. So they're all very important. Obviously, we have clear psychological benefits of exercise, where we see time and time again, that exercise reduces uh, depression and anxiety, often to quite a potent degree. um, And also in more niche questions of our niche areas of, of psych- psychiatric and behavioral disorders, um, we do see many other um, conditions or, or, or situations like, for example, autism, um, uh, schizophrenia, all these different diagnoses or conditions that do benefit as well from exercise. And that extends all the way to, you know, the end of life where someone might have Alzheimer's disease, dementia, cognitive decline, etc all of these um, neuropsychiatric states, you might say, all benefit from exercise as well. And some of that is related to, you know, the metabolic, the organ system specific events, but some of it is a little more difficult to capture. So overall exercise benefits you on the the very basic, what you might call biological level, you know, where we can describe the biochemistry of what's going on in the heart or the liver or the muscle, etc. Um, but then more broadly, it affects you on the psychological and and the social level as well. So, um, in in summary, their exercise is really important. And one additional part of that is that we, we don't necessarily know all the reasons as to why exercise is helpful. And this actually goes for many pharmaceutical drugs as well, which which often surprises people because you see sometimes that medications are taken for a specific condition and the outcomes are very positive. And there might be a proposed mechanism, but the reality is that we don't really know how this works, or we might know the primary mechanism, but there might be other mechanisms at play that are only discovered over time. You see that with so many drugs. And it's the same with exercise where As we begin to look deeper and deeper, you see modifications in in very specific uh, genetic parameters at the level of the chromosomes and histones and genes and epigenetics, et cetera. Exercises is involved in the modulation of all these processes. And this is at such a deep level that there's just no way that we could understand all of it, you know, Um, and you can go further beyond that as well. So this becomes particularly important, I think, when we start to talk about um, cancer uh, in particular, and because there are so many different types of cancers and so many different genetic modifications that occur in cancer, we know overall at the big picture level that exercise reduces risk of many different cancers and exercises benefit have has benefits in cancer. But again, the mechanisms aren't fully elucidated. We might know some of them, but we certainly don't know all of them. So I think that's for that reason it's very important to focus on, Outcome based evidence and not just the mechanisms. And that's what we'll do as we move forward in this conversation.
1: Yeah, I think it is important to just basically have that kind of fuller picture. You can look at it from like what I was saying there in terms of like the more biological stuff, the evolutionary biological stuff where you're like, okay, exercise or movement is a fundamental input here and it led to the development or at least it was part of the development of all of these other systems. Right. And then you can look at it from the perspective of, okay, now we are a Quote unquote, whole human. And then you start going into the more like psychosocial, the more like living your life kind of stuff, which we'll talk about when we mention like quality of life and all that kind of stuff in in a moment. And so you have this whole system, this whole thread that goes through it, through the system that is life. Right. But also it's important to understand that it is a fundamental input. So some of these disease processes, like, you're going to see impact. And again, we might not fully understand that, but the reason it's, it play, like it plays a role in some like various things. Like you say cancer here, you're going like, how the fuck does exercise play a role in cancer prevention or potentially even cancer treatment? You're like, well, why would that play a role? And again, it goes back to, oh, there's a fundamental like biological, it, it's a fundamental biological input, right? It needs to be in place, or at least it, it should be in place for the optimal running of the system. But then it's also, oh, well, there's psychosocial, stuff that goes on that potentially leads to a better happier human and that has benefits so it's not like you can just fully pinpoint the exact like oh it's this exact pathway that is happening or that's being triggered or this cascade event or whatever as a result of doing this exercise you know it's it's not just the the, the sum of its parts. It's not just a little, All oh, these few different pathways here. It's more than that, which again, it sounds very esoteric, but like, as we get through this, hopefully that'll become more and more apparent, right? But anyway, Gary, we talked about this before in a previous episode, um, but what is health, right? Because I think if we're going to ask this question, if we're going to talk about exercise and health, we kind of need to know what Health actually is. And then we can start going and breaking down like what are the potential mechanisms that exercise is actually contributing to health? And then what are the kind of components of fitness? Like what should we be thinking in terms of like the different training modalities and all that kind of stuff that contribute to health? Right. Um, and then maybe we'll also touch on, which I actually say maybe we'll, we're going to touch on like the actual like health conditions, I suppose you'd say that are impacted by health maybe not in this episode but in future episodes we will be talking about that right and so what is health gary let's start at the start what the fuck is health what does it mean to be healthy
0: so there are many different definitions of um of health that had that have been proposed over the years and i think sometimes people think that um the medical establishment so to speak are far more behind than they actually are like people still think that that very very old-fashioned definition of health where health is the absence of disease is like still the modern understanding and hasn't been for many many decades like that that's not the understanding of disease um and and any doctor will tell you that um there have been other definitions where, like i i don't like the previous world health health organization uh, definition because it described health as um a state of of complete Comp- and that's part of the di- the most difficult situation of complete uh, physical, psychological and social well-being. I think that was it. I don't have it in front of me, but that was the essence of it. Um, and that complete part of it just makes it very difficult to get down with because it basically tells us that nobody is healthy <laughs> and if you if you have
1: yourself i'm literally a complete human
0: Complete, complete See, see physical well-being i would not say you're complete because you don't have any calves and like there's no way you can be in a state of health I will literally
1: say calves. this every single time every single phenomenal fighting athlete has no cap look at john jones like that is literally two toothpicks right and you can michael you Chandler, think, huge calves. <laughs> What it doesn't matter. He's not fucking John Jones. He's not any of the actual peak. You know, I'm just <laughs> saying it is. It is the the peak male physique to have zero calves. Touche, touche.
0: Um, but but yes, you know the the point the point stands. It's it's not a realistic goal for people to to have complete physical psychological and social well-being because none of us would ever achieve it because there's always going to be some barrier there Uh, but there is still value there in terms of understanding health at the level of the physical at the level of the psychological and at the level of the social Um, because very often what we see is that um, many of of the health predicaments people find themselves in are, are very strongly related to social factors um, and beyond the social, the economic or the financial. Um, and that that's very, it's very easy to understand. I think why that might be the case, because even if you think about, if you are brought up in a, a very um, poverty stricken area, you're generally going to find yourself, you know, with access to different types of foods for sure, or access to less, um, amenable exercise facilities you know even even very simple things that people might think about like the absence of street lights or glass on the streets and things like that like if you don't have street lights and you live in ireland and for a lot of the year it's dark at five or six p.m well now when you come home from work you you probably won't feel safe going out for a walk in the evening and particularly for women that can be very difficult if you're going to go walking in a in an area that maybe mightn't be the safest in the dark. Like most people aren't going to do
1: that. So you yeah. find yourself then. Part of it as well. It's not even like, like oftentimes people just reduce it down to like a money thing, but it is like a, a socio economic cultural thing as well. Yeah. You know, it's like, like say you could be living in rural Ireland, for example, right? The streets, there's no paths on the streets, right? And you're like, okay, well, how am I supposed to go for a walk? How am I supposed to get my 10,000 steps per day? you know, oh, it's pissing rain out as well. So it's like, it's not just the economic stuff. It's also the place that you live. Like you could be a farmer that's fucking rich. Like loads of farmers are rich. You know? yeah. Loads of aren't as well. But, you know, it's like you could have so much money. So it's not an economic thing. It's not like, oh, I don't have enough money to be able to do this. Or people in my environment don't have enough money. But the environment is not set up to be conducive to your health goals, etc. You know, and this is important to understand because sometimes there is a, Cultural barrier to exercise, like we'll just say socio cultural barrier to exercise in terms of no one in your environment exercises. Like, if you go to, I don't know, somewhere like, I don't know, a Greek island or something, or like some of the Mediterranean places, like it's fucking hard to find a gym, you know? And yeah, okay, cool. They have beaches, they have other stuff that they can do, but it's still hard to go to something that a lot of people would use as their form of exercise in terms of the gym, you know? So, there is a cultural aspect and that's important to, or a sociocultural aspect. And that's important to understand when we're talking about all this stuff. Absolutely.
0: And I mean, it's not, it's unfair to just focus on the, the lower socioeconomic side of things as well. And I think that's what most people do most of the time. But if you look at, for example, let's take someone that they went to, they went, to, they were, they grew up in Ireland. They played, you know, GAA throughout their childhood, throughout their adolescence. They went to university, they kept up their activity, they did a degree in finance or something, and then, well, they moved off to the city in London, right? They moved off to London, now they're working, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, and suddenly, like, their whole, well, one, their work day in terms of, you know, they're now commuting on the the, the subway, the London Underground, that's the now tube. their No, the not the
1: subway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was thinking of the word, I was like, what do they call it again? On the tube, right? So you're commuting on the tube, um, suddenly you're, you're getting a lot less activity throughout the day. You're sitting throughout the day. Your priority right now is to get as much work done as possible and to move up the social ladder. And in order to do that, you need to work the sedentary job. Not only that, then you finish work in the evening and your whole kind of group, your whole office, they go out for drinks or they go out for food. It's the same at lunchtime. You know, you go to these nice restaurants, you're starting to make more money, you're climbing the social ladder. You've got all these events on and, you know, you're like, oh, well, isn't that a real privileged situation? But it's still very difficult for people to maintain their health. That's that's something I actually encounter a lot these days is when we're working with that demographic of like 25 to 30-year-old people who are trying to, to get ahead in life, and they're trying to, you know, meet new people and all these sorts of things, they find it very difficult to adhere to, you know, their nutrition and exercise guidelines because they've got so many other things that they're prioritizing at this point in time. Um, so understand that that sociocultural element there's, there's an element of that at at every strata of society and in every country across the world. And it just varies. So you should try to ask yourself that question. What's baked into my culture, not just your broader culture, like Ireland, but the microculture that you exist in. Uh, Because obviously if you exist in the microculture of being a personal trainer, uh, personal trainer, well, you're in the gym most of the time, exercise is rewarded. You meet friends, train and train together. Is that very different to living
1: an office lifestyle? No, all of that. Just on that, Gary, if you and I did not have a health and fitness business, you know, or we weren't in the health and fitness world, both of us, I can guarantee you, would have absolutely shit health. You know, we'd be working 20 hour days, slamming all kinds of fucking stimulants and fucking just just grinding, just fucking working. You know, well, I'll just grab a fucking burrito or something for lunch. I'll just get whatever, Uber in some fucking food for dinner or whatever. You know, it's like. your environment does dictate so much. Your your like sociocultural stuff, like the environment you find yourself in dictates so much of your health.
0: Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm so glad that I'm in the health and fitness industry because like, I could totally see myself 100% being that like Wolf of Wall Street type person who's just like working 24 hours a day and taking a, stimulants like but but like I'm super I'm very health conscious I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that even with like my caffeine intake I'm I'm thinking about my health to some degree like I'm not just slamming red bulls because I'm like oh well there's the sugar and I want to sleep tonight I don't want to have too much caffeine whereas if I didn't care about health and I had never learned any of this stuff like my personality would not lend itself to a healthy life so I'm very grateful for that um now beyond that the whole point of, of all of that was to say that that definition probably isn't perfect there have been more recent definitions proposed such as health is is like this isn't the exact version but i think this is probably better is that health is resilience to and against insults to your life and well-being and that's quite nice because it's it, it's very it's very general and it's general enough to apply to a lot of different situations so for example if you have let's say um, diabetes, right? Yeah, that that's an insult to your health. But if you have, you know, if you're in a state of resilience in that you're managing your diet, you're taking appropriate medications, you're exercising regularly, etc., to the point where your blood glucose is now controlled. Um, and anytime you get sick, you know what? How to change your medications, etc. And you're not dealing with any of the downstream consequences of having diabetes. Well, yes, you have had an insult to your health, but you're clearly quite healthy in the sense that you are resilient to it. You know how to adapt to it. And you're in a much better state of health than this person who has the same diagnosis as you, who's not able to manage any of those things. So I think that's a useful way of trying to understand this.
1: Um, so you, you happy with that definition? Yeah, well, we we wrote that definition. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we are. But like, it's not perfect. But like, I think focusing on the resilience mm-hmm. aspect is more important than focusing on the complete like absence of disease or the complete healthfulness of an individual like it's never going to happen right but if you're resilient to environmental stressors resilient to different things going on and you're resilient against these different things like i would much rather build someone who is resilient than someone who is fragile i think everyone would agree with that you know you could be in a position where you're completely healthy from a like whatever biological standpoint. I put you in a bubble, you know, and you've lived your life in a bubble your fucking whole life. You know, it's like, okay, maybe you're healthy because you've never had any of these insults against your health. You know, we've given you the exact nutrient soup that you need to have perfect growth, perfect, whatever, but like, you're not a really resilient individual. You've never had hardship. You've never had strife. You've never had, you've never been exposed to different things in your environment. It's not healthful. I, like, just let's use the, the immune system, for example. Like, if your immune system has never been exposed to any pathogens, any, like, bugs, mutagens, whatever the fuck, you know, it's not really resilient. You know, it's never built up resilience. I would much rather have a resilient immune system rather than an immune system that has never been exposed to anything. You know, and you could look at the two individuals and be like, this individual has never been sick, and this individual has never been sick, you know? And one is just resilient because their immune system is fucking on fire. It's doing the job, you know, whereas the other one has never been sick because they've never been exposed to anything. You know, I would much rather be the person that has been exposed to different things and has a strong immune system, you know, but anyway, look, we won't linger too long on the exact definition because it just becomes an argument in linguistics and fucking semantics, you know, where it's like, well, what about this exact word here? What does this mean? And, you know, that's not what we want to talk about, right? What we actually want to talk about is how does exercise play a role in building that kind of resilience or how does it, and I suppose we should talk about just briefly, even though you did mention it, something along the lines of like lifespan versus health span, right? Um, because if we're resilient, are we just resilient? We're going to live for a short amount of time, but we're going to have a really high quality of life. Are we going to do the opposite? Are we going to have a really long life, but really low quality of life? What's the story there? And then where does exercise play a role in this? Yeah.
0: So firstly, I think to answer this question, one helpful thing to understand is, well, two different things. I want you to first understand what causes the most deaths. And then secondly, what caused the most deaths and disability, because that's actually something that's important to understand. So firstly in Ireland, right? What causes the most deaths? The most, recent statistics as of 2019. Um, and I wanted to look at 2019 in particular, because before COVID and everything, it just messes up the stats a little bit. So we've got ischemic heart disease, number one, Then we've got stroke, lung cancer, COPD, lower respiratory tract infections, Alzheimer's disease, colorectal cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, and chronic kidney disease. So what we can see there is that cardiovascular disease kind of comes at the top. We've got lung, lung cancer and respiratory diseases next. Then we've got Alzheimer's disease. Then we've got some more cancer and then kidney disease. So that's what's causing the most deaths. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But then think about what's causing the most deaths and disability. Um,
1: Sorry, you on just could you explain what copd is because some people are sorry
0: chronic obstructive pulmonary disease so that's basically a a condition that stroking or smoking is obvious is the the strongest risk factor there um but it's a chronic respiratory disease where you're going to have you know the buildup of of phlegm you're going to have difficulty getting enough oxygen in you're going to find yourself very often they will um have a lot of frailty they'll lose a lot of muscle mass they're constantly struggling for breath um and that that can lead to a lot of problems so it's it's related to you know the the lower respiratory tract uh component that was next to it and related to lung cancer in the sense that we've got crossover risk factors so you can just think of those three as just respiratory disease um now in terms of death and disability is something that's important because um disability is kind of a core component in terms of understanding health span because when we talk about disability here we're not talking about like an intellectual or physical disability but rather the uh, effect on on one's quality of life one's ability to you know live every day well and often this will be studied in terms of disability adjusted life years so here what we've got again number 1 at the top when we look at death and disability combined is heart disease once again okay but then we've got low back pain number 2 which i think is really interesting for this conversation that we're having in particular because yeah, your low back pain isn't going to kill you, but as you can see here, it can have a very, very significant impact on your quality of life. Then we've got COPD, respiratory diseases again up next. Um, then we've got depressive disorders, so we've got a mental health component coming in here. Headache disorders, which again are often not going to kill people. Like you, if you've chronic migraine, you know it can significantly reduce your quality of life. So again, it comes into the health span question. Uh, then we've got stroke. Falls anxiety disorder, so another mental health component, and diabetes. Then, and I think the most important thing that emerged from the statistics that we were looking at here is that when we look at these 10 uh, things that cause the most death and disability, there's also um, statistics on the change over time between 2009 and 2019, and diabetes has had over a 50% increase um, in prevalence. In Ireland, over the past um, over the past uh, ten years, and I should probably clarify: is it is it a fifty percent increase in prevalence, or or a fifty percent increase in their contribution to the de- to the to death and disability? Because it's not clear from the chart. But um, regardless, it's really really important to understand that diabetes, particularly for this conversation, because it's it's it can't, exercise plays a very strong role in the prevention of diabetes and the control of diabetes is having a very very important impact on death and disability
1: um,
0: in Ireland. So with all of that said, we don't want to focus just on the out, the end point of the disease. We want to focus on what are the risk factors and does exercise have a role to play in modifying the risk factors? Because that's clearly something that would be of use from a preventative perspective. And that again was, was part of these statistics. And they looked at the top 10 the risk factors that contributed to the most death and disability and at no at the top number 1 was tobacco okay it's probably not hard to understand why because at the t- at the leading causes of death we had ischemic heart disease stroke lung cancer copd and lower respiratory tract infections they're the top 5 all of those are significantly affected by smoking okay so is exercise going to stop you from smoking probably not it encourages some people um but but ultimately that's a that's quite the the binary there you know stop smoking easier said than done but that's the best outcome here in terms of the number two that
1: That also includes fucking vapes
0: yeah like again just just don't smoke vapes either like to be fair like you don't have the tobacco component there's probably you know um probably a significant improvement but god the 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 lack of regulation and you know it's it's just not very wise i think to be buying these colorful <laughs> things in some random shop and putting it into your lungs so plenty of members of my family do uh, but uh, it's it's probably not the best decision like burning um,
1: anything and just inhaling the fumes, yeah. <laughs> generally not great you know? generally
0: not great <laughs> yeah uh, number two is high blood pressure okay um as a very, very significant contributor. And, and obviously it has the most potent effects there on the, uh, out of the things that we looked at would be heart disease. Of course, high blood pressure is a very strong effect on heart disease risk stroke as well. And then also chronic kidney disease, uh, high blood pressure is a very significant tri- contributor to that too. And that given that it's number two, I think that's really interesting because exercise is a very, very potent effect blood pressure. So clearly if exercise is having a very potent effect on the second uh, leading risk factor, uh, that's a strong uh, point of intervention. The third one then is high body mass index. So obesity, does exercise have a role there. It certainly does. I'm sure you'll all agree with that. Uh, And then we've got dietary risks as number four. Um, They haven't exactly clarified what dietary risks and it's hard to disentangle those from the blood pressure and the the obesity as well, um, but obviously we recommend improving your diet. Uh, high fasting plasma glucose is next, and again, strongly impacted by exercise. Alcohol use is next. You know, drink less alcohol, would be wise. High LDL is next, low density lipoprotein cholesterol, and. Exercise actually doesn't have as much of an effect there as, as we would like, uh, but it does have an overall effect on your lipid profile and it has a strong effect on the end outcome that that LDL might have, which would be, you know, atherosclerosis, heart disease and, or heart attacks. OK, um, so, yeah, exercise does have a role to play in, in that causal pathway. Then we've got oc- occupational risks um, at number eight. Now, could we hypothesize a role for exercise there? <laughs> like maybe, maybe you maybe you won't fall off the scaffolding at work
1: if you were fitter. Or if or- you do, you're more resilient. You have more <laughs> yeah. muscle mass. You're fucking you are land
0: in a squat. Um, <laughs> in all seriousness, there probably is a role there, but again, we won't uh, get into the weeds on that one. Then we've got kidney dysfunction number nine kidney dysfunction is is strongly impacted by a couple of other variables, which would include, for example, uh, high blood pressure and high blood glucose or diabetes. They're very strong contributors to chronic kidney disease. Um, So exercise definitely has a role to play there. And then finally, we've got drug use. Okay. So yeah, don't take drugs. Don't uh, drink alcohol or at least moderate your intake and don't smoke. Okay. Um, That's in addition to your exercise. So in summary of all of that, all of that stats, all those facts, what you can see is that in the vast majority of the diseases that we listed, or um, not necessarily diseases, but inflictions like low back pain, we might say, exercise has a strong role to play. We know that people who exercise more generally have lower rates of low back pain. Um, we know the people that exercise more are at lower risk of falls, lower risk of anxiety, lower risk of depression, lower risk of chronic migraine, lower risk of heart disease, respiratory disease, et cetera. So, all of these things that are affecting one lifespan and two health span or quality of life are reduced in those who exercise frequently. So, I think it's very, very clear that there is a reason as to why exercise might have a potent role here. But what we want to do next is maybe explore some of the outcome evidence. What do you think?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm just going to go back just in our notes, note a few things. So, first of all, the actual act of exercise facilitates many beneficial processes in the body look we've talked about that a lot of this is around just metabolism but also around like brain health cognition mood that kind of stuff right and this generally leads to a reduction in cardiometabolic diseases and the important thing to note is that this occurs even without weight loss because i know a lot of people focus on the weight loss component. and while that obviously does play a role it's not a necessary part of this. Like you can exercise and get healthier without changing your body at all. Well, to an extent you're going to change your body, but either way, right? Um however exercise does often play a role in weight loss and muscle mass preservation and gain. Uh, so that obviously plays a role in a variety of aspects in terms of you know muscle mass plays a role in sarcopenia, plays a role in protecting you from falls that kind of stuff, right? Weight, like excess weight can play a role in a variety of things. Diabetes, again, those cardiometabolic diseases, like weight plays a role in there. How much of a role? Again, we've talked about it in different episodes. So we won't dive deep into that. And we also have to remember that exercise, like we said earlier on, is something that oftentimes comes along with a community. You do it in a community. You do it in a, a group. You become a part of a group. Um, And as a result, this kind of like social health aspect improves, which is really important, especially as you age, or especially if you move country or, you know, you're in a different environment than you, you grew up in, et cetera. Like say, for example, myself, I moved to London, like the friends that I have here are all friends that I made in the gym doing jujitsu, or they're people that I know through the exercise world. You know, it's like, again, it, it plays a role in your 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 social health, right? Um, and as I was mentioning, increased strength and muscle size are beneficial for your older age sarcopenia, preventing falls or at least allowing you a better survivability, we'll say, from falls. But also, it plays a role in your enjoyment and your your quality of life because you're actually able to navigate the world around you. You know, it's like you might be, oh, I'm 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 still alive. But if you're not able to walk down to the shops or you're not able to walk down to the pub or whatever it is that you want to do, like your quality of life is clearly impacted, right? So we want to be able to preserve that for as long as possible. And that includes in your earlier years, like you don't want to be the, whatever, 25 year olds where all your other friends are going, oh, we're going to go for a hike up the mountains. And you're like, I'm not able to do that, you know? So again, it plays a role throughout your, your life. And obviously most people are aware that exercise and especially different types of exercise improve your cardiovascular fitness. And naturally enough, this plays a role in blood pressure and cardiovascular disease in general. And, but we also see improvements in your mood and your cognition from exercise. And again, that would make sense if we go back to that kind of evolutionary biology lens that I was talking about, where like your brain, your nervous system and all that kind of stuff a kind of is secondary to movement itself, you know, kind of evolved from your capacity to move. Again, it was in tandem. It's not like they're completely separate, but either way. Right. So just on the cognition thing, especially in the current environment that we find ourselves in, where we're in a knowledge-based economy, like if you're not able to be at your peak cognition, you're going to fall behind. You're going to fall into potentially a lower socioeconomic uh, status because. Other people are making more money just off their their thoughts, basically, you know, and that's that's important to understand. That exercise plays a role in improving cognition, or at least the preservation of cognition throughout your lifespan, right? So there's multiple, we'll call them mechanisms. Like obviously, we're not getting into the mechanistic weeds here, but there's multiple ways by which exercise itself plays a role in what kills humans or what. I should say, let me rephrase that, exercise plays a role in reducing the things or the severity of the things that kill humans, right? And also, it improves your, your quality of life, right? Would you agree with that, Gary? Absolutely. Fantastic. But the question still remains. First of all, like the, what we've just been saying there is, is kind of just hypothesizing. You know, we've been saying, oh, well, exercise plays a role in this. You know, it it should improve your quality of life, or it should improve the severity of this disease, or it should reduce the severity of this disease or whatever, right? But what what does the actual research say? Well, what are we actually looking at when we actually see the outcome of someone who's exercised versus someone who hasn't exercised? Are we seeing a difference in the quality of life? Are we seeing a difference in the, the quantity of life? What's the story there, Gary?
0: We absolutely are. And this is the encouraging thing is that I'm almost always like refreshingly surprised uh, when I look back at the research on the actual outcomes, because like I know all of these theoretical mechanisms, I've experienced the benefits of exercise. And I know in in theory, exercise prolongs lifespan, but you do actually see like really impressive outcomes when you look at the research. So when you're just looking at general physical activity, if we Recon- if we go jump back to the guidelines right just for a reminder the general guidelines um, and leaving resistance training aside for the moment would be to cons- i was going to say consume would be to perform 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity uh, per week or 75 to 150 minutes of vis- vi- visible vigorous <laughs> physical activity per week okay um but it does seem that there's actually benefits even beyond this, which is really encouraging um, because it seems like as you look at the research, what you see is that lower mortality is observed up to 150 to 300 minutes per week of vigorous, which is double the general recommendation and 300 to 600 minutes per week, which is up to 10 hours. You know, that's 10 hours of like modern intensity on the bike or running or whatever, of, uh, moderate physical activity. So you see benefits up to that point, which is really, is really encouraging for the person who like is doing a lot already and wants to take it further. But you do see that, you know, if you're getting the guidelines where you're hitting 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity or 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous int- vigorous intensity exercise, you're getting most of the benefits. Then the rest is the cherry on top, but it is really nice to see that reductions in, all cause, morta- all cause mortality, which are up to about twenty five percent, are observed as you go up to these higher levels as well, which is quite nice to see. Now, as you look um, at those who are fitter versus those who are maybe less fit, what you see is that as you go above the upper limit of normal cardiorespiratory fitness compared to you know lower limits of cardiorespiratory fi- cardiorespiratory fitness you see increases in lifespan of about five years, which is really, really impressive because I, like, I wouldn't expect to see that because of all of the, the messy things that go into measuring these things and all the other things that could happen to someone and we're just focused on their cardiorespiratory fitness. If you see an extra five years in someone's life, like that's, that's really, really impressive, particularly given the fact that it's of a higher quality as well, not just focused on the span of the life. So that again, is something that's impressive. And that came from a study over 46 years of follow-up. So, um, that's also something that's really important in a lot of the research is that like, sometimes you can look at someone's, um, VO two max or cardiorespiratory fitness in their seventies or eighties. Um, but you don't really know that much about, right. Why did it get to that level? You know, was it always high, um, did they exercise later in life? Did they preserve it from earlier in life? Whereas what a lot of this research that we've been looking at shows is that if you can get your cardiorespiratory fitness high early in life, one, you have more to lose, but you have a lot of benefits that will stay with you for, for life. And you can also benefit then if you were at a lower level of, of fitness and improved it later in life. So that again is encouraging for people who maybe aren't exercising yet. Um, and when you look at a sample, of people who are um who are sampled at 50 uh at 50 years and you look at their all-cause mortality in terms of their change of cardiorespiratory fitness what you see is that for every uh, one mill one milliliter per minute per kg of increase in vo2 max basically just an extra point on your vo2 max which is a measure of cardiorespiratory fitness you get an extra 9% relative risk reduction of all-cause mortality. Now, obviously that doesn't mean you don't die, <laughs> but it means that you, you prolong your life beyond that point. So that again is a pretty significant reduction risk. And in that study as well, what you see is that uh, when you sample people at 50 years, as, they, as you look forward to the rest of their life, you see this relationship, this linear relationship where even at this point, even this late in life, if they begin to improve their fitness, they start to reduce their risk of death. So it's not just the early life um, exposures, it's also the later life exposures. Um, So again, that's encouraging regardless of the age you're at currently. And then all of that focuses very much on cardiorespiratory fitness, which probably garnered the most attention up until the last maybe decade or two. But over the last decade or two, we've seen increasing evidence over and over again of the role of muscular strength in uh, longevity as well. And you see very, very impressive effects here where those who have higher levels of hand grip strength, and you might say, Oh, well, do I need to go and train my hand grip? No, it's more so just the hand grip is a very easy proxy for muscle strength. That's very easy to measure in people. Okay. But if you look at higher levels of hand grip strength, you see, um, reduced risk of, of all cause mortality of about so hazard ratio of 0.69 31% reduction compared with lower muscle strength and then a slightly stronger association in women um you know you can make hypotheses as to why that might be the case women often suffer more from osteoporosis for example um and risk of falls so you know there there might be that but uh you know overall the the reduction risk is similar between men and women get strong is the message there um and you also see that beyond just the hand grip strength. You see that those who um, have higher muscle strength is as assessed by knee extension also have reduced risk. So overall, what we see is that both increases in muscle mass and muscle strength have a strong preventative role long-term in both the incidence of disease and all-cause mortality. And we see very similar effects for uh, cardiorespiratory fitness where the benefits probably go far beyond what most people do in their everyday lives. So more cardio is probably a good idea. Um, and these benefits extend to pretty high levels of fitness, which is, uh, quite encouraging for those of us who are already training.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to really just put all that information into, you know, context in general. Right. So we'll go back to that kind of first study you were talking about, Gary there. And in that, if you're just doing the, Know, quote unquote, bare minimum, the stuff that's just recommended, the guidelines, you're seeing 19 to 25% lower risk of all cause mortality, well, CVD and non-CVD related. So cardiovascular disease and non-cardiovascular disease related, right? Which is pretty impressive, right? So if you just hit the guidelines, you're at a quarter, you're, you you've reduced the risk by a quarter, right? Pretty impressive. Right. If you're like, oh, I actually want to do more. I'm actually someone that really, really cares about my health. I'm someone that really, really wants to live a long time, etc. Right. You can do more and continue to get benefit. Now, the benefit drops off a little bit, you know, like in the study, it says participants who reported two to four times above the recommended minimum of long term leisure time VPA, um, which is just vigorous physical activity, 150 to 299 minutes per week or moderate physical activity of 300 to 599 minutes per week uh, showed a 2 to 4% and 3 to 13% lower mortality, respectively, right? So you could continue to get further benefits, right, by doing more work, right? It seems to be that doing more vigorous work is actually less beneficial than doing more moderate work, which kind of makes sense because if you're doing 600 minutes or let's even say 300, cause I was a vigorous one, right? you are doing 300 minutes plus a vigorous activity per week. You are probably fucking beat up <laughs> a lot of the time. You know, you're probably, you're probably feeling that your quality of life is probably actually a bit reduced because you're just very fatigued all the time. Right. Whereas that moderate activity and even the lower activity levels, it doesn't beat you up as much until you get into higher volumes. Right. So keep that in mind, just the very act of doing exercise, just hitting these guidelines, because we're not actually even talking about the outcomes of this, right? Now, obviously they go in tandem, right? They're, they're intrinsically linked, right? But just the act of doing exercise is probably going to get you some benefits, right? And this, you know, we've talked about this before, just say you're contracting the muscles, you're probably getting some metabolic flux, you're probably getting some benefits in terms of that, you know, cardiometabolic disease, just by virtue of using what you already have, right? Now, ideally, we want to see improvements, right? We want to see the body actually increase in strength, in muscle size, in fitness, etc. Right. But anyway, let's just say you're an individual, I'm just going to hit the hit the guidelines. I'm going to put in a moderate level of activity or a moderate level of exertion. I'm not going to go, you know, all out. Just exercising, you're going to see benefits, right? You're going to see if you start getting fitter, right? like you're actually influencing the outcome, right? You're going to see benefits, right? You're going to see further benefits. You're going to see a benefit in terms of your cardiovascular risk, uh, of like mortality risk. You're going to see that go down. You're going to see improvements. Now, VO2 max, like you said, Gary, it's one measure. It's not the be all and end all measure, but it's one measure. And if you see improvements in VO2 max, you see improvements in health, right? Um, same with muscular strength. If you see improvements in muscular strength You generally see improvements in health. Now, there probably is a critical drop-off point. However, the great thing is, for most people, you're never going to reach it. You know, like for most people, you're never going to be at like this 70 VO2 max, 80 VO2 max, right? Like you're just not going to see it, right? Most people are going to be like, "Oh, I have my 45 VO2 max," you know, "Oh, I got up to 50." Like that's probably going to be where most people are at, right? And that's not to say that's bad, but there are definitely further benefits to continuing to get that up higher and higher. Right. Same with strength. Most people are not going to be like, "Oh, actually, I'm seeing a functional decline in my overall health and you know whatever," because I'm just I'm squatting 240 kilos for for reps. You know, it's just like, "Oh, it's beating me up too much." Most people are not going to get there. Most people are going to go, "Oh yeah, I squatted 140 kilos for for one." You know, and they're like, "I'm absolutely ecstatic with that." You know, it's like. That's that's the reality of the situation, right? You could maybe see further benefits by getting stronger, right? And again, it could just be even the, the fact that you ha- then have more to lose, you know, you have more, you know, whatever you want to call it, buffer room, right? So all of that's important to understand, right? So just by exercising, you see some of the benefits, right? So regardless of if you know how to train, right? Just get out and train, get out and do something, get out and be active, right? However, if we actually want to see the vast majority, well, I shouldn't say the vast majority, that's not not correct, right? If you want to see a good chunk of improvement on top of just the act of exercising, then you want to know how to exercise to actually get results, to actually impact on the, the outcomes that we want to improve, right? So, and I wrote an example down here, like you could have an individual that say they exercise for 10 hours per week, right? So they fall into this sweet spot of training, right? So they're doing they're doing a good chunk of training they're doing above the like bare minimum, like the guidelines. So they're, they're in a good, good place. Wouldn't you agree, Gary? Yes, sir. If you had someone that came to you and they're like, I'm doing 10 hours of exercise. You'd be like, okay, nice, nice, great work. Right. However, if that individual says they're doing 10 hours of exercise and they've been doing it for the last five years and they say, I haven't gotten fitter. I haven't gotten stronger. I haven't gotten any more muscular. I haven't, you know, significantly influenced the outcome of, you know, that I'm trying to improve the, these different, um, you know, whatever you want to call them, characteristics of health or fitness, whatever the stuff is, right? And um, if they haven't done that, you would then look at them and go, okay, well, why why is that? And then if you had another individual that came to you and they were like, yeah, I'm doing maybe five hours of training per week, right? You might go, okay, well, it's kind of like you're, you're just hitting the the bare minimum guidelines you're just in that kind of range you know i have this other individual here who's training 10 hours per week but then you again further dig with this 5 hours per week individual and they're saying yeah i'm getting fitter i'm getting stronger i'm getting more muscular i'm you know leaner like all these different functional outcomes you would look at the two of those individuals and you would go okay well the person that's doing 5 hours per week is probably getting more benefit than the person that's doing 10 hours per week now There might be some areas that overlap. Like you might see the person that's doing 10 hours per week. Maybe they're getting more benefit in terms of, I don't know, uh, blood glucose regulation versus the person that's doing five hours. But in terms of we look at the the whole picture here, I would want, at least in my uh, estimation of the research, I would want to be the individual that's doing five hours per week, but actually getting results from that, right? So the reason I bring that up is it's important to understand that just going out and doing stuff, fantastic. We're never going to discourage that, right? Unless it's obviously leading to ill health. Like you're out training 40 hours per week and you've lost your menstrual cycle, your bones are like fucking, I don't know, paper. Uh, it's like, obviously that's that's not great, right? Um, but for the vast majority of people, that's just not going to be a reality, right? So go out, exercise. However, if we really want to milk this for all it's worth, we want to exercise in a kind of sweet spot range. So we're getting enough exercise in terms of you know, we'll, we'll call it hours of exercise, but we're actually getting the outcomes that we want, right? We're actually influencing, you know, your VO2 max. And we'll, we'll talk about the different measures, I'm sure, in a, in a different podcast in terms of, like, what are the actual outcomes that we want to influence? And then maybe we'll dive into, like, how you would potentially influence them, right? Um, but that seems to be the case. Would you agree with that, Gary, in terms of if you had those two individuals that came to you? Would you agree with that estimation? I would. Fantastic gonna sit there and not offer any uh no i agree like i mean it,
0: overall i think they, they both the act of exercising and the act of improving from exercise have benefits okay i think that you know if you are exercising and you're doing your 10 hours per week and you're not getting any benefit from it i would definitely have additional questions and want to know why that is the case um you're still doing a great job by exercising quite a bit um and then you have to ask yourself as well you know what a, are the metrics of interest because some people sometimes people will say they're not improving but like they might be focused on a very specific outcome like trying to have you know the perfect physique for a physique competition or something and you know they're not necessarily the outcomes that are going to be driving improvements um in longevity or or improvements in health span so overall focus on the metrics that you know matter most a lot of you will be if you're training a lot if you're doing weight training for five plus years You're probably at a level of muscle strength that's well above the average in the population, uh, which puts you in a good position. Um, if you're doing your weight training and you're never getting stronger, um, then, you know, you might want to make changes to your training. And similarly, when it comes to your, um, cardio type exercise, uh, you know, there are improvements that are, there are benefits that seem to exist at relatively high VO two maxes, um, which is interesting, you know, in, in the level that might be seen in athletes. So, you do, if you are doing your moderate intensity, physical activity, I would say to people to, you know, have, have some sort of plan there because some people will just walk on the treadmill and kind of call that their cardio. But, you know, especially if you get to a certain point, that's not really going to be pushing you anymore. You know, if you're, if you're looking to be getting maybe 130 to 150 beats per minute to be uh, working at maybe 70% of your max heart rate, and you're trying to accumulate that zone two to three type of cardio, um, that might be that might be you walking on the treadmill early on, but if you're still doing that four years later, now you might be at hundred beats per minute, which is you know, it's not gonna it's it's healthy for sure, but it's not going to mean driving driving much of an improvement in the VO2 max. So there is the act of exercising, and then there's the act of training, which has to come into it sometimes, um, but it doesn't need to be the main priority for most people.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Anyway, Gary, I think that kind of. Wraps it up for this episode at least because we have a lot to talk about in, in future episodes. Um, but you're going to kind of wrap that up in terms of have we discussed enough of what is health and how does exercise kind of contribute to this? Because if we haven't done that, then this episode was in vain.
0: Yeah, I think we've covered most of what we wanted to talk about. I think that in summary, there are, there are very direct and, and somewhat indirect benefits of exercise that will support you in your pursuit of health. Some of the biggest ones are probably those related to, um, the cardiometabolic, uh, consequences of exercise. So if you've got a reduction in blood pressure, you've got better blood glucose regulation, you've got, um, a more appropriate body fat or level of adiposity. Uh, you've got a better functioning heart, Uh, if you've got all these things going for you, you're in a great place. If you've got good muscle strength and a decent amount of muscle mass on top of that, and good bone strength to stave off osteoporosis and fractures in your later years, you're really doing a great job. So all of that um, will will be some of the primary outcomes from exercise. And then we've got some of the maybe less clear um, or less quantifiable benefits, like what it will do for your um sense of sociality, your sense of community, your psychological well-being, etc. All of which are very strongly impacted by exercise, but often not often not as precisely measurable, like something like blood pressure, let's say, um, but still very, very important. So my message is very simply exercise for sure. Um, you probably could be exercising more. I know there will be some people listening to this podcast who probably shouldn't be exercising more. <laughs> They're already doing like six super hard days in the gym. Some people need to maybe balance their training out a bit more if health is the primary priority. Uh, that's particularly in the the weight we see that a lot in one weight trainees. So if you've always been in the gym, you've just been bodybuilding, powerlifting all your life and you're just one of those anti-cardio people, you probably stand to benefit a lot more from the introduction of a small amount of cardio. any improvement you'll have in your strength at this point in your training career similarly for endurance athletes you might be you know have have been training for to improve your vo2 max for 10 20 years and you mightn't actually be in a position where any more of an improvement in your fitness is actually going to be of benefit whereas if you were to have a small increase in your muscle strength and muscle mass that could really stand to you so you have to be individual in terms of of what you do as well. So ask yourself, what are my weakest points? You know, am I already quite active in my job and I'm already seem to be have decent cardio respiratory fitness. Okay. Get stronger. Are you already very strong person naturally? And, you know, you seem to just pack on muscle as soon as you touch the weights, but as soon as you walk upstairs, you're gasping for breath. You might need to do some more cardio.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit more. In terms of how to influence this stuff in, in future episodes. But I think that wraps it up for today. So, Gary, how can people find us? What do we offer? What do we do?
0: I suppose number one, guys, just a reminder that the nutrition course is launching shortly. So if you want more updates, make sure to follow along on our Instagram for further updates. Um, and just remember that you know we, we might have a slight little discount. For those who are the first few people to sign up so um if you're keen and if you want to save a few quid then make sure you're following so that you can see when it is launching and see what you can do to get involved in addition to that we obviously have coaching spaces available because we have a nice big team of very competent professional coaches at this point and i think regardless of your goal we almost have. We have someone to, to cater to almost everyone at this point in time. So if you have goals that you'd like to work towards, you'd like expert guidance, professional guidance towards those goals, you can apply for coaching in the description box below. You can also just, if you don't want to engage with our services formally, you can engage informally by following all of our content. And we appreciate that deeply. Subscribe to us um, as a, on our newsletter, description box below. Once again, you can subscribe to that, get exclusive content to your inbox that doesn't go on our public social media and if you just want the public content, you can go on to our social media at triage method on Instagram and other platforms. If you look for us, you'll find us there as well. And you'll be able to get a lot of free content that will support you in the pursuit of better health, performance, and body
1: composition. Absolutely splendid. Anyway, I have nothing else to say, so I hope everyone enjoyed that. And as per usual, if you do have questions, comments, any kind of stuff like that, there's nowhere for you to give that feedback. Uh, no, you can go to social media or you can get in contact with us via email. More than happy to help discuss whatever issue it is that you have going on. If it's like, oh, you have a, a knowledge deficit, you're like, I don't know this thing. Like we maybe have produced content on that. We do also offer like consultations and you know, we'll call it mentorship as well. And um, for people that are interested in that, I know we have a few individuals that engage in that. We don't really uh, market that a lot. Um, But I know a few individuals are kind of taking part in something like that. Obviously, as Gary said, we have the nutrition course, the certification course coming out very soon. So keep your eyes peeled for that, because I think that like the way we focus on writing the content and creating the content is a little bit different than how most nutrition courses go about it, because a lot of them just are not, let's just say, fit for purpose. Like they don't actually teach people to coach, which is what we kind of wanted our course to be about more so teaching you how to actually coach nutrition because a lot of courses out there they either give you the absolute bare bones like they're literally like oh you can complete this in 2 weeks and it's like you actually you're you're actually in a worse position <laughs> almost after you've completed it because you just don't know what to do right or they just the courses just go really in depth on like the nutritional science but don't actually teach you how to put that into practice you know? and so our course kind of goes, it goes a good bit of depth in the nutritional science, but only to a level that you actually need to help people. Right. And then it really focuses on how would you actually put this into play? What actually matters when you're, you're talking to individuals, you know? Um, but anyway, look, you'll hear more about that over the coming weeks. And as Gary said, follow us on Instagram specifically, to find out more about that especially if you're listening to this and you're like oh you know i would like to be able to get a discount i would like to be able to get a discounted rate for you know the stuff that triage puts out so follow us on uh, instagram for that anyway i have nothing else to say gary do you no that's all good anyway enjoy guys and we will speak to you in the next one